And, you know, to stand in front up here and just, you know, to stand for the name of Jesus, that's going to hit our message some today. I'm just so proud of the children that do that, and uh, we always want to make time for that. So, you know me, I love Proverbs. Here's a quick proverb today out of chapter 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, or she, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Uh, hang on to that. That's a promise from the Lord. Today, we're going to, um, as we go through the scriptures, we're going to see that God is bigger than our past. Do you like new stuff? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we like new stuff. I mean, I mean, one of the best things for me growing up was to get a brand new pair of Converse All-Stars. I mean, that was like, there was like two brands of tennis shoes in the universe, and I wore them until there was literally holes in them. And when the day came for a brand new pair of Converse All-Stars, and I think they were nine ninety-five. And the thing was, black ones, low cut, with white socks. Does anybody remember those days? A few of you do. Yeah, your jeans had to be a little bit above the foot so that the white socks showed, and they had to be black. No? Okay, well, whatever. Anyway, I mean, new, new shoes. Uh, here's another thing that I like to get. I, I, I really like new. It's a new fork when I get to the restaurant. I have, want nothing to do with the forks that were there for the last... What are you, what, wake up! <laughs> That's a little bit funny. It may not be a lot funny, but come on, give me credit for a little bit funny at least. I mean, new, new shoes, new socks, new t-shirts. We like new stuff. The new car smell, which I don't really know where that comes from. And it really shouldn't surprise us that God likes things new too. You know, he does. He, he, uh, he does. In fact... There are lots of scriptures that talk about things that are new. So I'm gonna, these are going to be rapid fire. I won't spend much time on them. In Ezekiel 36, God says, I'll give you a new heart and put a new song in there to go with it. In, in, in Ezekiel 18, he says, he'll, he'll get you a new heart, a new spirit. In Psalm 40, he says, God has put a new song in my mouth, a new song. There's other, eight other places, by the way, that God says he likes new songs. So you know, I know a lot of times we come to church and we want to, you know, hey, why, why do we have to do these new songs? You know, why can't we just sing the songs we know and just really get into it? And those are good too, but you realize that God likes new songs. There are times God wants things to be fresh. So I appreciate that you bring us into new songs and I'm thankful that sometimes you walk slow enough that a guy like me can keep up and get there with you. So I, you did a great job of that today. And, and so, you know, there's a place for both. But God likes new songs. Ephesians 4, God tells us that he's, he's going to put on, he tells us to put on the new man. Other translations say new person or new self. And, and uh, Revelation 2, God's, this is Jesus talking and he says, uh, I will give to him who overcomes a white stone and on that stone a new name written. There's a lot tucked into that. I'm not going to go off down that rabbit trail. In Revelation 21, God's on the subject of talking about the new heavens and the new earth, and he says, behold, I make all things new. So it's a good plan. New is good. And I think sometimes it's good for us to get on board with what God's doing. And sometimes God's doing a new thing. Don't you agree? Nod your heads. Good. Good. Okay, so, but here's the problem. We all like new stuff, and we're all okay with new stuff except that. We're not always all that good at letting other people get a new start, letting them, you know, get on a new page. I mean, sometimes it's like, hey, hey, I know who you are. I know what you did. I was there. I saw that. And we somehow get out our time and date stamp and say, bam, that's you right there. There's the picture. That's who you are. It's who you're always going to be. 
And, um, you know, that's kind of tough, especially in a church setting like this where God is doing a new thing in every one of us, we hope, right? We're all in that place. So that's kind of hard. And sometimes one of the hardest things that maybe your hubby or your wife or your kids um, or your sister or something deals with in trying to change is that, you know, we've got them locked in. We've decided who they are. By the way, this is completely off topic. I really enjoyed during worship this picture of a brother and a sister, one on the drums and the other in percussion, and they weren't arguing with each other. They were (laughs) accompanying each other. It was really cool. Do you see little things like that? I don't know if you even know whoever these people are, but but I see those kinds of things, and I think, what a cool picture that is. Because I had a sister that I fought with, three of them, all the time. And if I wasn't fighting with them, I felt it was my duty to start a fight with them. <laughs> really good, a good picture. My mother's going, yeah, it's, nothing's changed after all these years. I love my sisters. Anyway, so, you know, we, 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 we lock in our family members. And sometimes the person who won't let me be new is me, right? I mean, we have these regrets. We have these failures. You know, I could never be that person. I can never be different. And, and, it, and it's really important for us to understand, and that's the title of today's message, God is bigger than my past. God is bigger than your past. And the goal of the message is for every person here to, to get that, that God is bigger than your past. So I want to pray. Let's just take a minute and pray as we get into God's word. God, um, it's true that we are just kind of old pattern type of people. We, we, we hear the voice of our old nature we have our old ways of thinking and, and acting, and God, we definitely need something of your grace to wash over those patterns that are in us. Help us, Lord, be people who let ourselves become new, and, uh, and also, Lord, that we become people that let other people be new as well, so that we can be a part of the good work that you're doing in our lives and in theirs. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we've been in this series, and we've been studying the life of Paul, and at this point in our story, he's still got the name Saul, and um, we're going to pick up where we left off before. It was right after Jesus saves him, and, um, and we're seeking, you know, there's a radical change that goes on with him at this point, and it's, I want to try and figure out what changed, you know, what, what, what changed in him, what, what, was, what was immediately new in him. Before we get there, um, I, I, where our text is going to be back in, in Acts chapter 9, um, I want to see one of the best things that Paul ever said about the fact that we're new in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. New creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Notice that this is for anyone. It's for everyone that um, they're a new creation. This includes the person that you struggle with the most. They have equal access to this provision that you have to become new. (laughs) You're not God's favorite. I hate to tell you that. You know, I mean, God doesn't have favorites. You might be my favorites or somebody else's favorite in the room, but God doesn't have favorites. And if anyone is in Christ, anyone, he's a new, new creation. To be in Christ, to turn from your sin and embrace Jesus um, by faith, is to be a new creation. So, new. What, what does that mean? We're going to come to that in a minute. This phrase, old, old things have passed away. There's a tense that's involved in that original language that includes, it, it basically says, it's basically saying that it's a once and for all time completed action. The past is gone. 
It's gone. Here's what the Bible says. Um, Here's some more quick verses. Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is removed from the west, that's how far he removes our sin. That's a long ways. That's a very long ways. Give me a number if you can measure it. I mean, I'd like to know. Micah 7 uh, basically says that he casts them into the depths of the sea. That's a creepy place, the Marianas Trench. It's, what, 13 miles, 15 miles. The pressure is gone, squashed by the way to God's glory. Isaiah 43 says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. He causes himself to not remember. Same thing in Hebrews 8. He says, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. God's making a promise. I will not bring them to mind anymore. Now, you can bring up your past to yourself over and over and over. You know, you can talk to yourself all about your failings. And, um, you know, as I was preparing for this, and even at this moment, I can tell there is something prophetically powerful in those words um, that the Lord is planning to do in the next moments about the words we say to ourselves and refusing to allow ourselves to, to move on. And, and you may keep bringing things up. You, you may feel grieved about things that, that you would never do again. You know, it, 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 how, many, how many of you have something that you wish you wouldn't have done sometime in your past? <laughs> okay, okay. I mean, God is not thinking about you like that today. That's not how he's thinking about you. He says, I will remember them no more. And this is what scripture means when it says the old is gone. It's gone. And you got to let that go. <laughs> you got to get on a new page, especially the page that God's putting you on. And I want to suggest to you that that new page that God wants to put you on doesn't involve anybody else on this earth. That's between you and God. It's not dependent upon what they say, how they behave, what they do, what they believe, what they don't do. If the Lord is calling you a new creation, you're a new creation. Absolutely. And you need to let that get in and you need to let go of those things that would tell you you're not. Let that go. The old has passed away and the new has come. And here this tense has the idea of completed action with ongoing results. It's finished, but there's still something going on with it. And it just like, it doesn't end, all right? I mean, if someone's in crisis, a new creation, but that old is completely gone, and you're, you know, you're actually technically new, but the results of that newness, they're continuing to go on. Something new is happening, and it's not just over. I'm glad for that. I mean, I'll give you a couple of examples of how to understand. These are really, really weak examples, but on a date last summer, Go back to last summer. And then if you run the clock back 41 years, my amazing wife, Lisa, love you, honey, um, stood in the front of a place of worship wearing a, a white dress and with a pastor, and, um, and she became my wife. That is a, an accomplished reality with ongoing implications. <laughs> It does. Okay. All right. Okay. It's accomplished, but there are, are some... <laughs> She's making notes. I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, here's another one. 44 years ago, um, this coming Easter, 
a high school senior was in a church service and at the end of that service walked forward and knelt down at an altar and publicly and openly and unashamedly opened his heart to Christ. Me. And this isn't about me, but I mean, that is an accomplished point with ongoing implications. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. It's an accomplished reality with ongoing implications. So the goal of, of what I want to try to do here today is, you know, get further into what that means for us. And not, you know, so not only that we can allow that, that possibility that we're new and that we'll be new again tomorrow. And those are good things. But that there's be something in our own mindset, too, that will allow that to happen in the people around us to not time stamp people. Acts 9, um, starting in verse 13, is kind of where we picked up, where we left off last time. Paul was on the road to Damascus, and this light shines down. And, um, you know, remember, he was this persecutor. He was the killer of Christians. And um, Jesus intercepts him, and he uh, interrupts him. He blinds him, you know, with light, which is who Christ is. And, um, And Saul was miraculously converted. He became a follower of Christ. And then the Lord talks to a guy named Ananias and he says, go talk to Saul. Picking up in verse 13, but Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. See, Ananias uh, has, has already got, got, got Saul locked. He's got him, you know, I know who he is. I know who that guy is. I've heard that name. And he has Saul on this page. He's got him labeled. But God was looking at Saul very differently. And, and Ananias continues, he says, verse 14, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord <laughs> said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And here it goes, verse 16, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Something has completely and radically changed in Paul. I'm going to show you a little bit before, a little bit about Paul before he was a new creation. He shares a little bit of his testimony. And this might be confusing to you. I'm going to help you understand this. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16, he says, this is Paul talking. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. Now, what's Paul mean? We regarded Christ according to the flesh. He's just saying, I just had a very human way of looking at and thinking about Jesus. You know, he's a religious leader and people talk about him and I'd seen pictures of him and, you know, uh, I knew some things about him, but, but he wasn't awesome. He wasn't king. He wasn't savior. He wasn't treasured to me. Before that time, he had just seen him in a very human way. He was just Jesus. He was this Religious leader. I mean, Jesus Christ was as likely to be a profanity coming out of my mouth as anything else, as, you know, an object of affection. I just saw him according to the flesh. Paul's explaining this. And, and I just thought that Jesus you know, thought about him the way that everybody else thought about him. Maybe you can look back to a time in your life when you just thought about Jesus the way everybody else thought about him. You thought about him according to the flesh. I remember Jesus, and I just thought him well. And then the blindness left, and vision came, and he interrupted and intercepted your life. 
He did it to me. That's what Paul's talking about. He's saying, everything's changed now. I came to this place where I realized that I was a sinful person, that I needed God. And I need forgiveness. And I embraced Jesus. He's Savior. He's Lord. He's my King. And he's become, you know, he said this, but he's the greatest treasure of my life to me. My life's about Jesus. It wasn't always that way, he's saying. I used to see him according to the flesh, but not now. I'm in Christ. I'm a new creation. The old is gone and the new. More and more is coming all the time. And, and Paul even mentions not just Christ, but other people. We think about them according to the flesh. We had not to do that. So I want to talk about newness in Christ. And there are going to be six quick points about newness in Christ. Number one, in Christ, I have a new purpose. Saul was this selfish, seething. He, he was an evil tyrant guy. He was, but now he's selfless. He's, he's this love-compelled servant. He's, he's this new creation. That's why when Jesus says, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name, Paul's got a new purpose now. He's living for the name of Christ. He's living for the reputation of Christ. You know, I've, I was thinking about that, thinking about names and thinking, well, maybe I should just change my name. Terry, I'm going to change my name. I've been Terry for a number of decades. There's lots of possibilities. You know, I thought of a name. I, I don't want to pick names that everybody else is already using, so here's one that I don't know if anybody here has. It's Winifred. <laughs> I only picked that one because they make Rachel's favorite coffee. Sir Winifred's coffee is Rachel's favorite coffee. Can't get it around here. No, nah, I don't want to do that. I want her to think about me as coffee. I could do Orville. Makes great popcorn. No, okay, associated with popcorn. Another name I thought of that nobody would, could think of is Cecil. Nobody here named Cecil. Probably I got a relative somewhere named Cecil. Beanie and Cecil? I don't know. I just, does anybody remember Beanie and Cecil? <laughs> okay. So um, how many of you could give a rip about my little thought journey of names, right? Anybody here? You don't care about this, right? Right? You don't care about that, right? And that's correct. You shouldn't care about my name. It's not important. Here's another name that's not important. Crossroads Church. It's not important. Crossroads Church is, you know, it's, it's not awesome. Crossroads Church is, you know, if there's anything God-worthy about this place, it's the Lord's presence here. That's, that's what's remarkable. It's not the name of this place. And, 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 and the name, you know, the name of the pastor here doesn't matter. The name of the church doesn't matter. It's the Lord's presence. If, if we are to have the name that needs to be on our lips is the name of Jesus Christ. I'm not here to tell you this is a terrible place. Don't come. I'm not saying that. But the name of this place doesn't matter. The name of Jesus Christ matters. It matters. And um, if the pastor of this place or the place itself doesn't elevate the name of Christ, that's not good. Jesus says, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And the thing is, most people won't suffer for any name other than their own. Most people. It's, 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 it, but now we're a new creation, so we have this new purpose. That's part of the deal. And the name that we're willing to suffer for is the name of Jesus Christ. And Saul's got a new purpose. I hope that's your purpose too. And I hope that you'll see at times that you don't need to be ashamed of the name of Christ. There will be times that it will cost you something to say, hey, he's my Lord. I, I believe in him. I, I, and, and, and talk to people about it when it's appropriate. So we have a new purpose. Second one, second, second newness in Christ is we have a new boss. 
boss. Okay, that's kind of an odd word. Um, scripture the word actually uses the word Lord, and, and I, but I wanted to kind of jolt that a little bit because Lord is so used in church, it can, you can just gloss over this. So when I say boss, you know, it makes me think of Bruce Lee movies. I don't know why. I don't know why it makes me think of it. Anyway, that's completely distracting, and I shouldn't have even brought that up. So the, don't agree so quickly, okay? So, so the biblical term Lord, it's, it's in this passage, okay? It, it, it means master, okay? It means rightful ruler. And notice in the text, in, in this whole passage, I don't know if you still have it in front of you, verse 10, there's a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him, here I am, Lord, he answers. And the Lord said to him, verse 13, but Ananias answered, Lord, Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, verse 17, Ananias lays his hands on Saul, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared, Lord, 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 over and over and I see a pattern here. Do you see that? The Lord is trying to emphasize something. And that is this. Jesus Christ is not just our Savior. He's our Lord. He's our master. He's our ruler. He's he's in charge. He's the boss. And it's, um, you know, when he says, when the Lord says to you to do something, the response is, what is it that you want me to do? He says to say something. Say, Lord, who is it that I'm supposed to say something to? He says to go. We say, okay, where do you want me to go? It's, it isn't, you know, you know, in Jesus Christ, we've kind of resigned the role of being master and commander of our tomorrows. We've resigned that. And um, we don't any longer just do what we want or say what we want or go where we want. Christ is Lord. He's Lord. You know, you're allowed to sit in the passenger seat, but he's driving now. And there's no backseat driving. <laughs> I, when I say that, I mean, I'm, I'm whining. I mean, you know, there's no crying in baseball. I mean, <laughs> some of you know that movie. There's no backseat driving with Jesus. He's driving. He's not going to get out of the driver's seat. Get your hands off the wheel. <laughs> argument over the wheel. And that's what, you know, when we're committed to Christ, that's, as, as followers of Christ, that's what they do. How many of you can remember, you know, a time when you actually were the boss of everything in your life? Maybe you can remember that. But that's not going on now. If you're a follower, we're not doing that anymore. We have a new purpose. We've got a new boss. Verse 17 and the Lord had said to Ananias, go. So, so verse 17, so Ananias departed, yes, boss, and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. Now, I love that, that he calls him brother there. We talked about that last week. He's terrified about this guy. But Jesus says, he's your brother. And if, okay, Lord, if you say he's my brother, he is my brother. And, you know, Jesus is Lord. He's, he's the boss. And, okay, so remember, Saul is blind. Ananias laying hands on him. Saul, and he's talking to him. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. Right then he rose and was baptized. He's saved, he rises, and he's baptized. Now I have to say, this begs to be the mother of all rabbit trails and kind of here we got to go. Jesus Christ is Lord now and he's only given the church a couple of, 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 of commands like this that we would call ordinances, things that we're supposed to do. Um, only a couple. Things that he said, I want all my followers to do this. One of those, he calls us to remember him. Every time, you know, if you're a follower, 
Yeah, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ. Okay. Then he says to you, don't forget me. Don't forget the cross. And every time we, we get together and we have communion and we pass out the elements, the bread and the cup, he's saying, remember me. Don't forget me. That's one of the two things. Second thing he says, he calls us to get baptized. He says, you know, and, and, and here's the, the deal. There's a lot going on with baptizing, but he's saying, he's saying, don't hide your faith from me underneath some sort of a cover. Don't, don't do that. This is not some sort of private, personal decision to follow me you're making. You have to unashamedly, I want you to publicly profess me. And that's what baptism's about. It's unashamedly, you know. He calls every one of his followers to do that, to, to confess him publicly through baptism. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus and you have never been baptized, it's time. It's time to, and there's a date, I'll mention it in a minute. And, and, and you know, I, there are a lot of responses that I hear when the subject comes up. Well, when my parents baptized me when I was a child. Okay, listen, I don't want to respe- disrespect your parents because I think they probably did the best they knew how and they meant well. But there's not a single place in all of scripture where you see a child and a body of water discussed in the same topic with the probable, possible only exception of Moses in the bulrushes and nobody thinks he was getting baptized there. Okay? I mean, there is no... Um, infant baptism is not in the word of God. It's just not in there. And I can... I, I could go on a rabbit trail and a rabbit trail and explain, you know, about infant mortality and how the, that belief got started and got infused into church practice. I'm just telling you that, that if my mother had me baptized as a child, if that is your check mark, check mark uncheck that box um, because you shouldn't go on with that, that, that thinking. By the way, baptism is not a salvation issue. Baptism, baptism is not, everybody say that. Baptism is not a salvation issue. But it is what saved people do. You know, so Ananias, in this passage, he lays hands on him, he receives the Holy Spirit, says he rose and he was baptized. So um, I want to um, just talk to you about um, five quick things about baptism First one is baptism is personal. Your, your mom and your parents can't do this for you. We just covered that. Second one is, is it's personal, it's a choice. And it, 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 it's personal, it's a choice. The second one is it's a picture. Baptism pictures the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And that's a very, very, very important picture for us to identify with. You know, it's, it's saying, it's you saying, Christ, you know, embrace me. So I'm, Following him down the road. I'm, I'm, I'm identifying myself with him. It's a picture. Number three, baptism is a profession. It's you saying out loud, I confess Jesus. And it's public. Number four, you, you're actually declaring to the world that uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting Jesus with my eternity. Now, in just a few weeks, uh, we're going to be baptizing some people here on a Sunday morning during the singing, during the worship service. And if you haven't, I encourage you to get baptized. The date will be um, Sunday, February 26th. And um, just in case you have a question, it will be heated water. It will be warm. And um, um, after service, um, I'll let you know that um, 
I think there will be a sign-up list out there, and there will be some information. And if you have questions, you can ask me, or you can ask um, Pastor Aaron or Pastor Seth, or Pastor. Or you can ask any of us, and we will tell you what's going on. And and I will just make this comment, uh, one more comment about it. There, I think there is probably going to be a class. You don't have to attend the class to get baptized. Let me qualify that. I mean, qualify it, explain it. Um, I don't want to suggest to you that knowledge and understanding should ever be prioritized higher than obedience. Nor would I want to suggest that this church would stand for that your intellectual concurrence comes before obedience. Those are two dangerous places to go. So the class is good. It's there if you want to. If you want to ask one-on-one questions, if you want to do that, you know, that, that information. But my point is that you, you just get baptized. Just do what the Lord says, and I will tell you what will happen. The moment you come out of that water, you will once again be new, and the Lord will do things in you because of your obedience and your trust and your faith that you didn't realize could happen. And you'll quit walking through life thinking, I know I'm supposed to, I just don't want to, and now I'm embarrassed. You know, um, okay, so coming up on the 26th. And then one last point, baptism is a problem. (laughs) <laughs> it's a problem. It's a problem for a lot of people. Although Jesus, you know, it's clear he commanded it, sometimes people put it off. That's a problem. You know, it just never seemed like the right time, or I just want my mom to watch me. Hey, listen, Jesus will watch you. You can tell your mom about it later. <laughs> there will probably be video going. Do we do videos of those kinds of I don't know if we do, but we can, so we'll... Okay, I see a good nod. Way to go on the spot. Thanks, Aaron. We'll even give you a video you can show your mom. But we're doing this so far in advance, you can tell her and invite her to come. I'll pray about it. Don't pray about it. You don't, you know, you don't need... God's conduct doesn't need to be... Your conduct doesn't need to be prayed over. The Word of God tells you what you need to know about conduct. That sometimes is a, an excuse for what we're really not going to do. Well, I'll pray about it, which means I, I'll, I'm going to act like I'll be spiritual about it, but I don't intend to do it. Don't do that. Maybe you've been a Christian for years, and um, <laughs> you've never been baptized, and now you're embarrassed. Listen, everybody in this room needs to get to the place, if we're not already, and I think we're probably there, that we are glad to see people get baptized at whatever place in life. We want to support you and encourage you for the good and righteous steps you're taking going to condemn you because you didn't take them fast enough? That's silly. We don't think that way and we don't want to think that. The key here is that he's Lord. Jesus is Lord and he commands his followers to be baptized. It doesn't save you, but it's what saved people do. Okay, end of rabbit trail. God is bigger than my past. Um, Okay, so number one, in Christ we have a new purpose. Number two, we have a new boss. Number three, in Christ we have a new message. Picking up in verse 19, for some days... He was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Now, I'm going to pause there and just mention to you that if you're a follower, the Lord's going to give you opportunities to serve him by speaking for him. Speaking up for him, not necessarily in a public setting, but you're going to get it one-on-one in the marketplace, or with friends, or with absolute strangers. Verse 21, And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? Verse 22. But Saul increased all the more in strength. Man, 
strength. How do you get strength? Why does strength increase? Because he was standing for Jesus. If you speak up for Christ at work, you're going to sense his strength. If you speak up for Christ with your family or in your neighborhood this week, you are going to sense the Spirit helping you along the way in ways you didn't realize. God's given us a message, and when we speak that message, God's Spirit's going to empower you. So we have a new purpose, a new boss, a new message. Here's this is also true. In Christ, I have a new enemy. One of the reasons Christians are oftentimes so silent or um, is because of the opposition that always shows up, always shows up when you open your mouth to speak the name Christ. It's just going to come up. Um, uh, verse 23. When many days had passed, now, I'm going to take a minute here and explain that. A lot of scholars think that this was the period in Paul's life when he um, went off into Arabia, which was the southern part of the promised land. And, um, and it was probably for about three years, and he got alone with the Lord, and he got alone with scriptures, and he got alone with the Holy Spirit. And, and it was in that time that he would become the person that was able to take on these enemies of God. And he's, at this point now, he's, he's smart, and he's articulate about the gospel. He's, he's got that down. And I think if you want to look into that, look into, um, I won't take you there now, but Galatians 1, starting in about verse 13, it goes for several verses, he talks about that. Anyway, verse 23, while when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. They, they realize he's a pretty powerful opponent now, and they want to kill anybody who's preaching Jesus. Verse 24, but their plot became known to Saul. It doesn't tell us how he found out. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples, okay, so he's been a Christian now long enough that he's got Christian disciples following him. See, this is more than two or three days. Okay, so, so he's, he's, he's been a Christian for a while. And I want to talk just for a minute about having disciples. It's really okay. You can have people, you can disciple people today. I mean, I do. I hope you are. Here's the thing. If you have disciples that you are disciple, if you have people you're discipling, they need to absolutely understand very clearly that you are a disciple of Christ. And the role of anyone who disciples other people is always to wean them from being connected to me and graft them to being a disciple of Christ on their own. So, so he's got these disciples. And uh, it says, his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. If you've been in Sunday school, you've seen this before, you know, Sunday school cartoons. And um, here's a picture of the remains of the city walls in Damascus. You can't go there today. It's like a terribly dangerous place. Um, and um, some of the homes were actually built. This is a pretty modern picture, I think, uh, within the last hundred years. So that's relatively modern. I don't know. It's not, it's not a real current picture. Um, but you get the idea here. This is the actual wall around Damascus. And um, it was common then for some places for there to be a house on the top. And they put him in a basket and they snuck him out of the city That's because, you know, there were people waiting to kill him. Here's the thing. You can love people all day long and never, ever have any problems. But when the enemy really steps up, when he really starts to become inflamed, is when you speak the truth that Jesus Christ wasn't just a person. You know, 
He, 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 wasn't just a, he was also that he said, I'm the savior of the world. There is no way to God except through me. There is no way. And when you speak that truth, then you should expect to see the enemy pop up in some fashion. I was tipping over in my chair happy. This is not a political statement, spiritual statement. I was tipping over in my chair happy. Lisa had to calm me down as I watched the inauguration, and I saw a pastor before the inauguration and after. Both, I heard four of them proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, and one of them said, there is no way to be saved but by the name of Christ. Oh, I was just, I'm about ready to get going right, happy dance now. (laughs) Forget who was inaugurated. Having that declared at that kind of a ceremony over this land is a good thing. Oh, just bless the socks off me. But you can expect there's pushback coming. And we need to remember who the enemy is. It's not going to be the people through whom pushback comes. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. But it's coming. And those people are going to be attacked. And our president will be attacked for letting them say those things in a setting. It's already begun. Jesus made some pretty exclusive claims. And we believe them. We do. When you speak about those subjects, opposition is going to come. Now, um, about five years ago, I remember watching Whitney Houston's funeral service. It was on a lot of TVs. It was on a lot of network. Maybe you watched it. Maybe you didn't care, but I don't know why. I was captivated by it. And I, I listen, I'm not trying to get you to buy her records or anything. I, mean, I, I still enjoy it. One of my favorite songs of all time, you know my favorite of all time is Oh Holy Night. You knew that. But another one of my absolute favorites, um, she sang the best rendition of it in the world, Jesus Loves Me. And... Um, I thought about playing it now, but I thought, no, that'd take some time. So what we're going to do is when the service is closed and you're dismissing, you're going to hear her wonderful tones singing Jesus Love You. Wonderful. I guess I should come back to that later because um, I'm getting ahead. A lot of things, I'll come back to Whitney Houston, okay? Um, a lot of things are new in Christ, and, and most of them are positive. Um, I've got a new purpose, a new boss, but also an enemy. Um, number five, in Christ I have a new reputation, Verse 26, and he came to Jerusalem. He attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe he was a disciple. And that passage just kind of, it's heartbreaking. It grieves me. They didn't believe he was a Christian. Sometimes our opposition is going to come from exactly the wrong direction. You know, when did Christianity ever allow itself to become kind of a club where Christians sat back and said, hmm, I don't think you're a Christian. I'm not giving you a key to the clubhouse. I mean, I mean, that's, you know, I don't think you're, I mean, that's just, why would somebody want to do that? And um, so when Whitney's, I, I couldn't believe how many times following that memorial and that whole scenario and the way she died, I can't remember how many times I saw professing Christians saying, she's not saved. First of all, the Lord knows. I don't know her. I've never had coffee with her. And I think about things that I don't really know. I should just keep my mouth shut for those who are listening online or later. 
Um, I, I just feel like I do that. And second thing is, why would you ever want to speculate about that? Consider the implications of that. They're just, I don't want that to come out of my mouth. So anyway, the, um, the memorial service, which was, it was fun. It's, it was a church service. It went for four hours. So I don't want anybody complaining here about our hour and 20 minute service. <laughs> and it's different in style. I loved the style. I mean, I'm, I'm just telling you, I don't know. I'd probably been bouncing around and scaring some of you if I'd been in that room, but the music and just all the stuff going on. It's a different cultural approach, but man, it was full of life. It was a really good thing. And, and, and along comes an actor named Tyler Perry. I'm not pushing his stuff either. I'm just telling you, he stood up and he said some things. I want you to see this clip of Tyler Perry talking about Whitney Houston at the service. And in every conversation we had over these years, it was evident that she loved the Lord. She loved the Lord. And when I think about it, there's a scripture that keeps burning in my heart. I keep thinking about the Apostle Paul in Romans when he was talking about, I am persuaded that nothing shall separate me from the love of God. So what I know about it is that nothing separated her from the love of God. And if you look at what Paul was saying, he was describing her life so perfectly. He said, neither height, which meant no matter how far she went in the stratosphere, nothing separated her from the love Neither height nor depth, no matter how much struggle, no matter what she had to go through, no matter what she had to walk through, it still wasn't enough to separate her from the love of God, nor principalities, nor power, nor things to come. Nothing was able to separate her from the love of God. So what I know about her is that she loved the Lord. And if there was a grace that carried her all the way through, it was the same grace that carried her home. And I just want to close by saying this because the Apostle Paul said something else that just fascinates me as I read the word sometimes. He said, what then say you to these things? That if, if God be for you, who can be against you? So say whatever you want. God was for her and she is resting, singing with the angels. God bless your family. God bless you. So uh, I, I love what he did there. I love, you know, Whitney, where is she now? I, I don't know. The Lord knows. I, I hope, I, I hope for her, but the Lord knows. But I love the posture of that, the hopefulness of it. It's just, it's, 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 I love the expectation of all of that. God, you know, he's basically saying God's going to be faithful to his word. He's going to hold on to his own. He's never going to let go of them. And to be sure, her death was tragic and terrible. And, but God is faithful. God holds on. Nobody's going to get them out of his hand whom, to whom the Father has trusted. And it grieves me, you know, that Paul has been this Christian now and apparently for a few years and, and, and these disciples, they don't believe him. They're afraid of him and they just don't believe he's actually a disciple. And I never want that to be our church. By the way, I have not detected that here, but I don't want to ever see that. I mean, you know, and so, so, so here's where we get in this to, uh, it, it takes a guy like Barnabas, you know, whose name means son of encouragement. It, it always takes an encourager and Barnas, Barnabas is thinking, you know, hey, hey this is not right. I, I'm not letting this go down like this. I, I'm going to do something here. He steps in and verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how, how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. 
So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were still seeking to kill him. So here's the last thing, um, the last form of newness. Number six, in Christ, I have a new fellowship. Christ, I have a new fellowship. Acts 9. Now, okay, these brothers are with him and watch them rally around him. And when the brothers, okay, I want to say this too before I get into this. I know I, should, I shouldn't interrupt it like this, but you're not a brother if you don't act like this. This is how brothers behave. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Notice they brought him, they protected him. And they sent him, they provided for him. Brothers and sisters in Christ um, protect one another and they provide for one another. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves you all the time and a brother helps in time of trouble. Like many of you, uh, I know what it is to take a difficult stand. And I know what it is sometimes to be misunderstood and to pay a price for taking a stance for Christ. And this is an important part of the new life that we have in Christ. It is. And this is what the church is called to. We are called to love one another in genuine fellowship. In genuine fellowship. And I hope that this will always be a church like that where we rejoice in the new things that the Lord is doing in us and in each other. Amen? Let's pray. God, I...